you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A's fans and welcome to episode 183 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan Jason Burke, and on today's show, we are going over the best designated hitters of the Bean Era. This is the final installment in this series we've been doing for the past three weeks. We've been going position by position, so if you've missed an episode, make sure to go back, relive some nostalgia, and remember some guys. And also, make sure to follow us on social media, at LockedOnAs on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter, and if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. And if you go over to our Twitter account, you will see a poll mentioning these four guys by name, and you can vote for your favorite of the bunch, and then we will compile the all-bean team. I'll put up some sort of graphic or something like that and be like, ah, this is who you guys voted on. So, uh, there you go. Uh, so that's all for that. Uh, one quick show note before we get started, and that is that the Locked On Network is having us go down to three episodes a week with the offseason upon us. Not just Locked On A's, but all of the MLB podcasts. Uh, they want to give us a little bit of a break so we can recharge and continue providing fun and informative shows for our audiences. So I'll be uh, in your feeds just a little bit less, but I am by no means going away. When the A's trade for Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez to play up the middle for them next season, I will be the first pod up. My voice will be in your ears uh, at some point fairly shortly after those happen, I imagine. But enough of the announcements. Let's kick things off today talking about the number four DH on our list, and that is John Jaha. The fact that he made it onto this list is impressive given that he only played in 100 187 games for the A's, but in that time, he had one fantastic season in 1999, earning MVP love and finishing 18th on the ballot. And you know how voters didn't know about things like war back then in 1999? If the voters had been voting based on war, John Jaha's 4.2 wins above replacement would have had him finish... Well, 18th. He They they nailed that one, I guess. Uh, so, good job on the voters. Uh, but it was his two injury-plagued years after that season in 2000 and 2001 that knocked him down a little bit. He finished with an 18.5% walk rate, which is ridiculously high. And while he hit just 245, he had an on-base percentage of 396. In 1999, he hit 276 with a 414 OBP on-base percentage and slugged 35 homers while driving in a 111. That was also the only season that he was an all-star, too. And while he didn't win MVP, he did get MLB comeback player of the year honors for his efforts. Jaha was originally a Brewers draftee out of high school, taken in the 14th round of the 1984 draft. In 1989, he won the league MVP award for the Stockton Ports. The Ports became an Oakland affiliate in the California League in 2005, and they have been around since 1949. And for most of these podcasts of these all-bean team pods, I've been trying to come up with memories that I have of these players, watching them play. And uh, for John Jaha, I don't necessarily remember a ton about him other than his name and that he crushed dingers because uh when you are what like 10 years old john jaha awesome name that's an 80 grade name right there uh his batting stance looked a little bit like mark mcguire's the way that he'd bend at the knees and hold his bat but specific memories i'm drawing a blank on so uh so i looked some stuff up and 
eight games against the Tigers in 1999. He had six homers and drove in 13. The Angels didn't have to suffer his power wrath quite as much, but he did go 15 for 37 with 13 walks in 12 games. That is good for a 405 batting average, a 569 on base, and a 1217 on base plus slugging. By comparison, David Fletcher against the A's in 2020 was just a nuisance. Uh, that is domination, you guys. Uh, but moving on from Captain Ahab's biggest nuisance to Billy Bean's white whale, and that is the number three DH on our list, Arubio Durazo. Throughout this series, I've been mainly focusing on what each player did as a member of the A's, but I'm starting this one off by giving you a glimpse into how Durazo came to the A's, which is fascinating. This all comes from Jason Stark in like a 2002 ESPN article. Uh, their website was... Very funny looking. It is very outdated, but uh, here it is. Uh, Durazo came to the A's in a 14 deal during the 2002 winter meetings with the Diamondbacks, Blue Jays, Reds, all involved, well, and the A's, all involved in the swap. The story goes that the A's were so focused on trading for Durazo at those winter meetings that they cooked up multi-team deals that also included the Giants, Braves, Expos, Blue Jays, and Reds, and all of those deals ended with the A's getting their man. Bean let his lusting over Durazo be known, but he and D-backs GM Joe Garagiola Jr. knew that they didn't have a direct match, so Billy asked his Arizona counterpart for a list of pitchers that he'd be interested in, and Bean went about trying to acquire one of them to flip for Durazo. But the fun does not stop there. A month prior to the trade being completed, there was speculation that Durazo would be headed to Colorado in exchange for a 36-year-old Larry Walker, who had two years left of team control. So Bean and Toronto GM J.P. Riccardi worked out a side deal that would have sent uh, Orlando Hudson to the A's only for him to be flipped to Colorado for Durazo. As I said, that was all from Jason Stark of ESPN in 2002. Check out their website. It's hilarious. Um, there's more to that story too, but I thought that that was enough to whet your appetite. I thought it was hilarious. Billy Bean was not coy back in 2002 whatsoever, but uh, let's talk about his actual numbers with the A's here. Durazo spent three seasons with the A's and hit 283 with a 375 on on-base percentage and accumulated 4.3 wins above replacement and had a 120 WRC+. His walk percentage was 12.2 and his... K percentage was 16.8, and anytime you see those numbers in double digits and they're close to each other, that's typically a solid bat in the lineup. An injury-riddled 2005 saw his production decline, and Durazo never made it back to the majors again, but he was on that 2001 World Series Diamondbacks team, and he went 4 for 11 in the World Series, so that's kinda cool if you think about it. Uh, my main Durazo memory has to be his first at-bat with the A's in 2003. I'd heard about this Durazo guy that Billy Bean had been after, and he comes up in the second inning of his first game with Eric Chavez at first base, and he cranked a homer to deep left. He also added a bases-clearing double in the fifth to finish his first game with the A's against the Mariners with five RBI. Uh, that, that's a nice way to ingratiate yourself to, uh, to a new fan base. It's like an opposite Jim Johnson. Uh, and I know that this is not an A's highlight, but I found out that Durazo also took Bobby Bonilla deep in a blowout game in 2001. But if you're looking for pitchers that he dominated when he was with the A's, Jamie Moyer may be at the top of that list. Durazo went 9 for 16 with 6 walks, good for a 563 batting average and a 696 on base in 23 plate appearances. He also hit 471 with a 609 on base against John Lackey. And sure, it's not quite as impressive 
offensive, but man, did I dislike John Lackey. So I'm glad that Durazo is sticking it to him. But uh, that, I think that that wraps up all of my Irubio Durazo tangents. So coming up, we have the best two designated hitters of the Bailey Bean era. So stay locked in with Locked On A's and I'll be right back. Today's episode of Locked on A's is brought to you guys by the best tasting protein bar ever. We are talking about Built Bar, my friends, and their new and improved Built Bar is even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. They have six new flavors, including caramel, brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They still got their original 12 flavors, like banana bread, mint brownie, and orange. And all of their bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew protein bars that taste like candy bars. And all of their bars are built for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Their bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for the keto diet. So all you got to do to get your hands on some of these delicious treats is go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, that is one word, LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Ace Podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. Tell a friend about the show. And also make sure that if you have missed any of these episodes where we've been constructing the All Bean Team, that you go back and listen to them because they're a lot of fun for me to make and also hopefully for you guys to listen to. Uh, I know a couple of you guys are out there enjoying these. So yeah, just stop what you're doing and uh, just listen to the rest of these position by position rankings and all that stuff. And uh, the voting might be done for some of them, but you can still vote in your head and uh, let me know what Locked On A's on Twitter. You can also uh, follow us on Instagram at Locked On A's. I am at by Jason B on Twitter. You can uh, email us any questions that you got to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. But let's get back into the show and stop plugging things for you guys. Coming in at number two on our list of the best A's DHs is Khrushchev himself, Chris Davis. That on- that joke only works if you've ever tried to type in crush with a KH into an iPhone and it comes up Khrushchev. And uh, so hopefully that landed for a couple of you guys. If not, I explained it to you, so it don't sound crazy. Um, KD was acquired by the A's before the 2016 season in exchange for Bubba Derby, who's still in the minors, and Jacob Nottingham, who's played a little bit in the majors. And I think a big reason that this trade actually went down is because Jacob Nottingham was a former Astros prospect that the A's had acquired along with Daniel Mengden from Houston for Scott Casimir back in like 2016 or whatever. And then when David Stearns took over as the Brewers' GM after serving time with the Astros, Nottingham was one of his early additions. So basically to sum up, I think that his ties to Houston ended up helping out the A's, who essentially landed Chris Davis for a couple of months of Scott Casimir, so that's fun. They also got Daniel Mengden, who's been Daniel Mengden. But anyways, in his 617 games with the A's, Crush, KH Crush, uh, has hit 240 with a 316 on base percentage and a 117 WRC plus while totaling with 6.4 wins above replacement. Obviously, he hasn't been the same feared hitter that he was from 2016 to 2018 when he was hitting 40 plus home runs a year while batting 247. But I feel like he might have been putting something together there at the end of this season. And uh, I, I blame part of his struggles on the injury that he suffered in Pittsburgh in May of 2019. And since he came back from that injury, he's been struggling 
struggling to lay off balls low and away outside of the zone and just hasn't looked confident at the plate. And I feel like he was starting to get some of that confidence back as the season went on in 2020. So maybe we'll see a better version of Chris Davis in 2021. We will see. And one reason that I'm optimistic that we'll see the resurgence of Chris Davis, if you will, is because in the playoffs, he hit an above average for him, 250 in both rounds, hitting three homers and driving in four. And while it's not much of a sample size, it is, he was getting more consistent playing time and he was showing up for it. So so maybe they won't have to hide him against righties like they were for much of the 2020 season and they can just throw him out there and make him, uh, you know, maybe he'll be that $16.75 million player that he's been the last couple of years. He's got one more year on his contract with the A's for 2021 at $16.75 million. Uh, I, I think that how he performs this season, this coming season, is going to determine whether or not he's sticking with the A's, if he can sign somewhere else. Uh, also, if the National League adopts the DH, there's got to be some team that will take a chance on him. But I think that the A's, I, I don't know why, but they like to have that DH be a DH as opposed to having it be like a rotating position, like uh, the Rays or other teams that use it more like, uh, hey, this is where we got another platoon advantage right here. So uh, we'll see what they do after Chris Davis is off the books, uh, whether or not they re-sign him. I think that his 2021 season is going to play a big role in uh, their thinking on that one come next offseason. But if we are going to go with Chris Davis' memories, basically any time he has stepped to the plate against the Texas Rangers has provided a new one for us A's fans. And uh, in 79 games against Texas, he has hit 271, which is Hall of Fame level for him. And he has a 360 on base percentage with a 1021 OPS, that is on base plus slugging, to go along with 32 homers. And this has all been done in 331 plate appearances. If you double that, and he's roughly Babe Ruth. So uh, give me some Rangers and Chris Davis action, and I will watch any of those highlights. And those 32 home runs are more than he has hit in interleague play over the course of his career, and uh, where he has 20 home runs in 80 more plate appearances. So he loves feasting on the Rangers. But just one last thing on Chris Davis. Davis heading into 2021. Uh, his September numbers this past season saw him hit 296 with an OPS close to 900 in matchup based playing time. Uh, he only had like 20 something at bats or plate appearances, but still they were finding the right opportunities for him. So we'll see what he can carry into 2021. I am hopeful because I know that they're not going to be able to move his contract. So I have to be hopeful that he's going to turn it around because he's not going anywhere. So best of luck to Chris Davis in 2021. But moving on to the number one A's DH of the Billy Bean era, and that is Jack Babe Cust. He was purchased by the A's away from the Padres after batting 333 for the Padres in three at-bats. He went one for three, folks, and the A's were like, I like this guy. He's ours now. <laughs> the A's brought him in, and he played more games for them in his first season in Oakland in 2007 than he had for four other teams across five different seasons. He led the league in strikeouts that season with 164, but he ended up with a 408 on-base percentage and walked 105 times too so he was like the new era sabermetrics kind of guy at, at that period of time where it was like hey yeah sure he strikes out a whole bunch where some teams wouldn't give him an opportunity but the A's saw that he walked a whole bunch and he was still valuable so uh, that's how we got a chance with the A's and if you're looking at his career numbers it was actually Jack Cuss that hit 247 not Chris Davis and he had an on-base percentage of 381 to go with a 129 WRC plus which means he was 29% above league average and he played in 533 games 
games with the A's. He ended up with 7.8 wins above replacement as the A's DH in four seasons in Oakland. But going back to that 2007 season for just a second, he ranked fifth on the on that team in war behind Mark Ellis, Dan Heron, Nick Swisher, and Joe Blanton. And right behind him at sixth in team war was one of my favorite of the era, Travis Buck. For some reason, he was the next coming of Ryan Sweeney to me. Loved him. He was also kind of like Eric Burns with that hair and the smile, and uh, he seemed enjoyable. He had one good season. It was in 2007. He kind of tailed off after that. Uh, but I felt like I had to say his name at some point during this series, so I got my Travis Buck mentioned in just in the nick of time because we are running out of time on this episode and this is the final episode of the all bean team so uh going back to jack cuss though i don't really have a big standout memory of him with the club other than ray fossey calling him babe cuss literally all of the time i mean he hit dingers but the teams that he, he was on weren't necessarily great so it's kind of hard to elevate any of those homers for me uh none of them is necessarily memorable um, he led the league in walks and strikeouts in 2008, and it was never really bad for the A's, but they let him walk after the 2010 season. He signed on with the Mariners, where he struggled for a little bit, and then uh, he spent the next four seasons bouncing around from the Phillies to the Astros to the Yankees to the Blue Jays to the Rays, and then to the Orioles. He retired in 2014, and that's kind of just the story of Jack Cust. Uh, I feel bad that I don't have any like great memories of Jack Cust because he wasn't a bad player for the A's by any means, but... Uh, I just don't have any. So if you have some awesome Jack Cuss memories, tweet them to us at Locked On A's because I want to do him better than I have done here as the number one DH of the Billy Bean era. So uh, send me your Jack Cuss memories. I'll read them on the air and I will make amends to Jack Cuss for slandering his name on this podcast. So uh, yeah, yeah t- tweet me your Jack Cuss memories. That's all I'm asking for. But uh, anyway, that is it for me today. I hope you guys have enjoyed this series of the best players of the Bean era because I have had a great time researching and then talking about these guys. Uh, it, I, I love nostalgia. This is a fun time for me. Maybe I'll go even further back and talk about, like, I'll do the the all-Mac team and talk about the best players of the Connie Mac era because uh, I know a lot less about those guys. I didn't watch any of them play. Fun fact. <laughs> so, yeah, it'll be fun to talk about those guys. But that, that endeavor is going to entail a whole lot more research on my part. So, uh, which actually leads me to, as I said at the top of the show, they're taking the MLB pods down to three episodes a week. So maybe I'll have a little bit more time to do some research here. So I'll be here less frequently, but we're going to be having just as much fun talking about the A's. As of right now, the schedule is a little bit up in the air. I think that I'd prefer to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but uh, like this weekend is my wife's birthday. So I have to be a very good husband and uh, probably not record on Sunday like I usually do. So there may not be a Monday episode, but uh, I'll make sure that I update you guys on Twitter uh, and let you guys know when episodes will be dropping each week. Um, you know, it's the holiday season, so things come up and then I'm like, oh, well, that sinks. But I will get you guys at least three episodes a week uh, to make sure you guys get your A's fill. And when the A's trade for Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez, you come to Locked On A's, you get some takes. So uh, <laughs> look forward to that. So until next time, stay indoors and celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks and I will talk to you guys next week.